Good morning and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you and welcome to 21 VNet Group's fourth quarter 2020 earnings conference call. With us today are Mr. Samuel Shen, Chief Executive Officer and Executive Chairman of Retail IDC, Ms. Sharon Liu, Chief Financial Officer, and Ms. Renee Chang, Investor Relations Director of the company. I'll now turn the call over to your first speaker today, Ms. Renee Chang, IR Director of VNet. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you, Operator. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our fourth quarter and full year 2020 earnings call. Uh, before we start, please note that this call may, concern, uh, may contain forward-looking statements made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions for the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. These forward-looking statements are based on management's current expectations and observations that involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors not under the company's control, which may cause actual results, performance, or achievements uh, of the company to be materially different from the results, performance, or expectations implied by these forward-looking statements. All forward-looking statements are expressly qualified in their entirety by the cautionary statements, uh, risk factors, and details of the company's filing uh, with the SEC. 21 undertakes no duty to revise or update any forward-looking statements for selected events or circumstances after the state of this conference call. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Samuel Shin, CEO of 21 all right. Uh, thank you, Renee. Good morning and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our earnings call today. During the fourth quarter of 2020, we exceeded our previous guidance range and grew our net revenues by 28.6% to RMB 1.35 billion from RMB 1.05 billion a year ago. In addition, we expanded our adjusted EBITDA margin to 28.9% from 25.2% and grew our adjusted EBITDA to RMB 389.8 million from RMB 263.8 million during comparable periods. We attribute such solid results to robust market demand, methodical resource expansion, meticulous customer services, and strong sales momentum. 2020 was an extraordinary year as we encountered both unprecedented challenges and tremendous opportunities. The challenges brought on by COVID-19 were certainly exceptional, yet out of a heap of challenges blossomed the robust demand for data center services. Since the pandemic outbreak, we have witnessed substantial changes in both consumer behaviors and corporate mentalities. Some of those changes were transitory, while others are permanent. We believe that the migration towards online entertainment, e-commerce, mobile computing, remote collaboration, and digitized services are permanent, thus fueling the tremendous demand for IDC services. In addition, favorable government policies are also accelerating the digitization trend, which in turn are further stimulating the market demand for our solutions and services. To satisfy such growing market demand, we have been proactively expanding our capacity and resources 
As of December 31, 2020, our capacity reached 53,553 cabinets in total, 93% of which were self-built, and the remaining 7% of which were partnered. In the fourth quarter, we added 2,077 cabinets on a net basis. Our compound capacity utilization rate was 60.4% during the fourth quarter, among which our utilization rate was 77.8% for mature IDCs and 31.7% for ramp-up and newly built IDCs. As we envision unabated market demand for the foreseeable future, we have proactively expanded our resources. During the fourth quarter, we acquired a data center in Beijing with approximately 2,000 ready-to-use cabinets already under commitment to a public cloud customer. Such additional capacity should enable us to better serve large enterprise customers who continue to locate their mission-critical data processing operations in Tier 1 cities to achieve ultra-low latency. The requirements and preferences of these large enterprises limit the potential locations of their data centers to within a 100 kilometers radius from metropolitan areas. While we are expanding our capacity, we are also implementing strategic initiatives to ensure our capacity environmental sustainability. Such efforts include increasing our renewable energy utilization mix, improving the effectiveness of our power and water usage, and reducing our carbon intensity across all of our data centers. To increase the transparency of our corporate sustainability practices, we are currently preparing our initial ESG report and plan to publish it later this year. Beyond expanding our capacity in a methodical and sustainable manner, we also continued to leverage our flexibility in providing hybrid and multi-cloud infrastructure solutions, which enhancing our client services. Witnessing the consumer and corporate behavior changes in 2020, we have taken a proactive and data-driven approach that enabled us to not only measure, forecast, and address the unique IDC requirements for individual clients across industries, but also strategically plan our resource expansion and optimize our site selection to align our development with our client's growth trajectory. As a result, we have forged tight bonds with our customers and become an indispensable partner for our clients to cultivate their own evolving ecosystems. During the fourth quarter, we acquired a new public cloud customer who had started moving in as of the first quarter of 2021. In addition to securing new cloud customers, we also ramp up our engagement with large-scale enterprises. We were able to sign an MOU with a popular content community and social platform company. As of today, we have accumulated wholesale MOU in service or under contract to over 180 megawatts. We also continued our extensive discussions with an online entertainment company 
which is interested in utilizing a portion of our IDC capacity in Shanghai, where its headquarters are located to support its rapid growth. In summary, we have accumulated abundant capacity, procured additional resources, and forged strong client relationships. With the additional capital raised from our recent convertible bond offering, we are well positioned to capitalize on the robust market demand emerging in the post-pandemic era. With that, I would turn the call over to Ms. Sharon Liu, our CFO, to review our financial results for the quarter. Sharon? Thank you, Samuel. Hello, everyone. Before we start our detailed financial discussion, please note that we will present non-GAAP measures today. Our non-GAAP results exclude certain non-cash expenses, which are not part of our core operations. The details of these expenses may be found in the reconciliation tables included in our press re release. Please note that, unless otherwise stated, all of the financial numbers we are presenting today are for the first quarter of 2020 and are in R&B terms, and that percentage changes are on a year-over-year -year basis. We concluded 2020 with strong first-quarter financial results, mainly attributable to our resource expansion capacities, on-track and efficient cabinet delivery to customers, and improved operating efficiency. Our revenues for the first quarter and full year of 2020 both exceeded the high end of our guidance ranges, while our adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter and full year of 2020 both were within our guidance ranges. Revenue in the first quarter increased by 28.6% to $1.35 billion from $1.05 billion. This increase continued to be driven by the industry's ongoing growth as well as our steady capacity expansion, which allowed us to better satisfy the growing demand for a scalable retail cabinet and carry neutral wholesale IDC solutions in the quarter. Retail IDC MR per cabinet in the first quarter increased to RMB 9,131. We added around 2,077 new cabinets during the first quarter. As of December 31, 2020, we operated and managed 53,553 cabinets. Recognizing the ongoing growth in customer demand, we also worked to expand our cabinet capacity while remaining focused on maintaining healthy and stable cabinet utilization rates. Our compound utilization rate in the first quarter was 60.4%. More specifically, our utilization rate for those material IDCs delivered prior to 2019 improved to 77.8% compared to 77% in the prior quarter. Our utilization rate for ramp-up IDC and newly built IDCs were 31.7% compared to 359 in the prior quarter, the decrease mainly contributed to a large amount of cabinet delivery at the end of the third quarter. 
adjusted cash gross profit in the first quarter, which excludes depreciation, amortization, and share-based compensation expenses, was 581.9 million compared to 425.9 million in the same period of 2019. Adjusted cash gross margin was 43.2% compared to 40.6% in the same period of 2019. Adjusted operating expenses in the first quarter, which exclude share-based compensation expenses, impairment of receivables from equity investees and impairment of long-lived assets were 215.5 million compared to 184.2 million in the same period of 2019. As a percentage of net revenues, adjusted operating expenses in the first quarter decreased to 16% from 17.6% in the same period of 2019, demonstrating our improved operating leverage and operating efficiency. Adjusted EBITDA in the first quarter grew by 47.7% to 389.8 million from 263.8 million in the same period of 2019. Adjusted EBITDA margin increased to 28.9% from 25.2% in the same period of 2019. Owing to loss of 900 57.1 million from changes in the fair value of convertible promissory notes during the first quarter. Our net loss attributable to ordinary shareholders was 1.02 billion in the period, compared to net loss attributable to ordinary shareholders of 16.4 million in the first quarter of 2019. Basic and diluted loss both were 1.02 to 8 per ordinary share and 7.68 per ADS. Each ADS represents six ordinary shares. Moving on to our balance sheet and liquidity. At the end of the first quarter, our debt to assets ratio was 64.5%. After taking out the effect of the changes in the fair value of convertible promissory notes, our debt to adjust EBITDA ratio was 3.1. In addition, net cash generated from operating activities in the first quarter was 283.8 million. As of December 31st, 2020, we reported a cash position of 3.4 billion. During the quarter, our efforts to maintain a strong balance sheet and leverage our solid reputation in the capital markets enabled us to further cultivate our future growth prospects. As such, we successfully executed a public offering of convertible notes for an aggregate principal amount of US dollar 600 million in the January. This successful note issuance further demonstrating our acknowledged growth potential, significant brand value, and strong investor interest. Going forward, we plan to use the raised proceeds to satisfy our capex demands and repay our existing notes that will come due in 2021. Looking ahead into 2021, 
we continue to see a number of potential M&A opportunities and regard brownfield sites as a variable supplement to drive organic growth. We plan to continue expanding our IDC business in a prudent and balanced manner, while leveraging our value-added service offerings to cultivate more business opportunities with our existing customers in turn. Our balance sheet strengths will also serve as a significant competitive advantage, enabling us to secure those IDC resources that align with our long-term growth targets, enable us to capture additional market share, and provide us with more customer engagement opportunities in key markets. In 2020, our total CAPEX was RMB 4 billion, including M&A payment during the year. We expect 2021 CAPEX to be in the range of RMB 5 to 6 billion, including acquisitions that we have bought up knowledge. Looking ahead, we expect net revenue for the first quarter of 2021 to be in the range of 1,375 to 1,395 million, and adjust the EBITDA to be in the range of 395 to 415 million. For the full year of 2020, we expect net revenues to be in the range of 6.1 to 6.3 billion and adjust the EBITDA to be in the range of 1.68 to 1.78 billion. This forecast reflects our current and the preliminary views on the market and operational conditions, which are subject to change and do not factor in any of the potential impacts that could be caused by the COVID-19 epidemic in the future. This concludes our prepared remarks for today. Operator, we are now ready to take questions. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. If you wish to ask a question, please press R1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. If you wish to cancel a request, please press the pound or hash key. Our first question comes from the line of Yang Liu from Morgan Stanley. Please ask your question. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, first, I would like to congratulations on a, a strong result uh, and a new customer addition. Uh, my first question is related with this new wholesale customer. Uh, you mentioned it is a, a social, uh, uh, social and content company. Could you please uh, discuss more in terms of their current uh, demand outlook and the order size uh, to your minus has already get, and also uh, uh, share about their uh, return profile while serving this uh, customer. Uh, the second question is: um, uh, I would like to uh, hear ma management comments on the resource at the edge of town, uh, is it becoming more and more difficult than before to get uh, resources, uh, maybe in uh, Hebei or Jiangsu, et cetera? And will this impact your three-year expansion plan? Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, thank you, Luyang. I will take your first question. Uh, regarding to the new logo, actually it's a uh, public cloud service provider in China with uh, amount uh, of 2,000 cabinet. Uh, those MOU will uh, start to move in from Q1 this year, and, and for the returns of these projects, uh, it's still at the company's acceptable level. Thank you. Hi, Leon. This is Samuel. Um, good to uh, see you virtually. Um, I'm taking on the second question. You mentioned about um, probably, probably metropolitan area and surrounding areas uh, is getting a little, little bit tough uh, to secure the land uh, together with the uh, uh, power quota. And I think the answer is yes. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a general situation. That being said, uh, because we have been in the industry for, uh, for almost 25 years, and we do have a strong relationship with the government, and we pay a lot of attention um, on the government's requirements and, and so on and so forth. Uh, if you, if you uh, drill down and double-click on the uh, government's um, requirements lately, uh, getting to be tight, uh, especially from a power quota uh, perspective. For existing data center, they're asking for better than the 1.4, and for new one, they're asking for better than the 1.3 in general. And, and, and luckily, because uh, we have been in the industry for quite a while, and then um, if you look at our existing data center, uh, actually our power consumption is actually um, top tier, I would say so. Um, so both from an expansion point of view and, and from the acquisition point of view, um, I think things are pretty much on track uh, from our expectation uh, point of view. Um, so I hope that gives you some of the uh, colors. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of uh, Tina Ho from Goldman Sachs. Please ask your question. Hi, uh, uh, thank you, management, for uh, your time and taking my questions. Um, I have two questions. The first one is also regarding the recent M&A in Beijing. Wondering what is the um, what is the deal size or the valuation uh, you did the uh, uh, acquisition at? Um, and also, uh, the second question is uh, in terms of your. Uh, uh, 25,000 uh, cabinet uh, capacity target in 2021. Wondering how much of that uh, already has uh, customer commitment this year, um, and also related to the construction pipeline. I uh, saw that in um, the, your third quarter uh, presentation, there were uh, two projects. Number one is SH7, and number two is. EJS Campus 02 uh, that had around like 1,803,000 3, cabinets in plan, uh, but then these two projects were uh, missing in the 4Q presentation. So just wondering uh, what has happened there. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tina. Good morning. Uh, yeah, for your first question regarding on the uh, MMA. Actually, we have disclosed those MA in Tier 1 cities, um, which offers uh, 2,000 cabinets uh, that were ready to use and under commitment uh, to the public uh, cloud customer, a new customer. Um, actually, uh, as this is 
this is a mature data center. We use easy EBITDA multiple to do the valuation, and the valuation is uh, in line with the market price. And for our M&A strategy, uh, we consider the M&A as a supplement of, of our organic growth. And currently in the market, there are two kinds of M&A um, targets. One is the brownfield ones. Um, uh, in that case, we will only provide a premium to the seller or the developer and then to um, obtain those data centers. Uh, another one is the mature data center acquisition, which we will use EVA EBITDA multiples in the market. Um, yeah, that's our M&A strategy. Uh, regarding to our 25,000 cabinet um, targets this year, uh, we have disclosed around 22,000 in our investor deck uh, this year. Among that, over 60% uh, of the cabinet uh, we have been received the pre-commitment from both the uh, wholesale customers as well as the large-scale retail customers. Um, I want to add more color on our large-scale enterprise customers. Um, besides the public cloud companies, we also see great potentials from the large-scale enterprises. For example, a popular content community and social platform company a leading e-commerce platform for service, um, we will deliver um, the cabinet to the two customers um, this year. And both uh, the two customers are from our existing retail customer pool and, and former already committed. Um, and regarding to, uh, to the changes um, of certain projects, I will see uh, for the wholesale data centers as we sign MOUs, we should deliver um, at, uh, we should deliver uh, based on the commitment to our our customers. But for some scale retail and traditional retail customer, we still have flexibility on the delivery to um, have good match from the supply and demand side. Um, so um, you can see. This quarter, we disclosed uh, 22,000 cabinet, while um, for the gap from the 25,000 cabinet, uh, we still have some M&A pipelines. And also for the existing disclosed uh, data centers, we still have some expansion phases in the future um, to match our delivery target. And in the following months, we will uh, match the especially the large-scale customers' demand and uh, try to fix our delivery schedule. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sharon. Our next question comes from the line of James Wong from UBS. Please ask your question. Uh, good morning, management. Thank you very much for your time. It's uh, James Wong from UBS. Uh, I'd just like to get a, a follow-on question on the capacity pipeline. I just um, want to get a bit more detail around that pipeline for the next three years. I know you've secured um, 22,000 for uh, this year. Uh, I'm just wondering for the 75,000 cabinets over the next three years, uh, where are they in terms of location and proximity to T1 cities, and what proportion already uh, have electricity and carbon quotas? So that's the first question. Uh, the second question is around 
the four-year EBITDA guidance. I remember from the second quarter result, uh, the indication was that you were expecting somewhere around 35 to 40% EBITDA growth for 2021. And I've also noticed that the first quarter, you're guiding to 56% uh, EBITDA growth. Um, but the four-year guidance uh, is actually somewhat below. So I'm just wondering whether you're being con potentially conservative in the four-year guidance or whether there's uh, a bit more cost that you expect to spend uh, over, the rest, uh, over the rest of the year. Thank you. Okay, thank you, James. Uh, regarding to our uh, capacity pipelines, uh, as you see, we have uh, many pipelines in, term of, in terms of the greenfield, brownfield, and the mature data center MNAs. Uh, so um, we are very confident to secure more resources for the delivery uh, for the year 2022 and the year beyond. And currently, for the uh, total 75,000 cabinet, uh, over 60% have been secured, fully secured. Um, yeah, so we, we made good progress from the resources side. And regarding your question too about our uh, EBITDA guidance, actually was, um, the EBITDA guidance is mainly um, due to the delivery schedule of this year. As we disclosed in the investor deck, um, among the 22,000 companies we disclosed, um, around 40% will be delivered in the first uh, half. Majority will be delivered in Q2 this year. Um, and the rest, 60%, 60% will be delivered in uh, Q4 this year. Um, so uh, from the delivery schedule, um, the moving will be uh, heavily weighted in the second half. Uh, that's why we... Um, so we factor in those uh, moving schedule in our EBITDA guidance. And currently we are very confident for our INU guidance and the Q1 guidance, uh, both from revenue and EBITDA perspective. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Can I just, because um, uh, I think um, Samuel mentioned that it's getting more difficult to get resources around the Tier 1 city area. So just wondering for next year and the year after uh, in terms of, uh, the resources, how much of it has already been secured, whether you can provide any indication on that. Thank you. Um, yes, actually for the uh, cabinet delivered uh, in 2020, majority uh, was in tier one cities. And uh, this year, actually majority will be uh, in the surrounding areas of tier one city for the next two years. Um, the surrounding areas uh, will weight over 50% from the incremental perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Arthur Live from City. Please ask your question. Hi. Um, <clears throat> thank you, uh, Sharon and uh, Samuel. And uh, yeah, I also want to uh, congratulate company's presentation uh, materials are getting uh, more closure and also uh, more data. Uh, on the page uh, 23, uh, my first question is, uh, we saw the lines of uh, rent up and new build capacity and, and utilization uh, actually uh, increase in the quarter three uh, and then uh, maintain the quarter four level at 31%. I wonder uh, if it's because the capacity build uh, 
uh, in the uh, quarter three, or is because the uh, the demand uh, has a change? And also, can you give us uh, um, some color on the 2021? How uh, this line will, uh, uh, you know, go up or uh, you know maintain flat? Uh, this is first question. And the second question uh, is a what is type of question. Uh, I want to ask uh, under the current. Uh, um, you know the the increased price of the material steel and also the um, everything. I think everything's uh, price is going up. Uh, will it uh, impact our uh, execution and also the uh, margin uh, profile in the next two years? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Arthur. Regarding uh, your question uh, on the utilization rate. Actually, for the existing uh, cabinet we delivered before the year 2019, um, you can see the gradual increase of utilization rate for, for, for those data centers. And we, we combine the ramp up and the new build data uh, cabinet and disclose uh, those in another utilization line. The decrease in Q4 was mainly due to the heavy delivery in Q3, around 7,000 cabinet and 2,000 cabinet in Q4. So the new delivery increased the denominator in the formula of utilization rate. Actually, we achieved um, very good um, progress in terms of the billable cabinet. The billable cabinet uh, increased a lot uh, during the whole year of 2020. And in 2021, we will still use the same methodology to disclose the utilization rate. Um, the compound ones, the material cabinet, and also the ramp up new build. For the material cabinet, um, the utilization rate at the end of this year will be around 80%. And for the ramp up and the new build, uh, will increasing accordingly, but in certain quarters, if we deliver more cabinet, there may be uh, pressure in those quarters. But overall, the billable cabinet will increase in this year. And your uh, your second question is about the construction cost, the margin and the construction cost, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, actually, we still have rooms to uh, optimize our construction cost through the centralized procurement as well as the supply chain management because we delivered um, more cabinet in the market. Um, so uh, currently, we have not seen any uh, margin constraint or some pressure um, from the suppliers. We still can accept our returns from each of the data centers. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Edison Lee from Jeffries, Hong Kong. Please ask your question. Hi, good morning, management. Uh, thank you very much for picking my question. So I have two. Number one is that on uh, the wholesale front, I know that you announced that this new wholesale customer uh, together with this acquisition. So this wholesale customer basically is acquired from the, from the acquisition. Uh, I, I just want to confirm that. Number two is that in Jiangsu, 
uh, do you expect to gain uh, more locals of wholesale customers uh, because of the uh, power allocation you previously uh, were able to obtain? Uh, and uh, I think maybe a follow-up to that is, what are you seeing in terms of M&A opportunities in terms of asking price uh, and also in terms of locations? Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the easy answer of your first question is yes, we, um, we add these new customers through the acquisition. And your second question regarding to our M&A uh, strategy, um, actually, as I mentioned before, there are two kinds of uh, M&A um, targets. Uh, for the brownfield ones, um, majority will be in the surrounding areas. And for the tier one cities, uh, we are looking for some mature uh, data center acquisition opportunities currently in our pipelines. Thank you. Have you seen any increase in asking price, or do you think the asking price has become more reasonable because of government policy to threaten to uh, cancel power quota for unbuilt projects? Yeah, I should see um, for the material data center acquisition, um, there is a market price, and we should uh, acquire those ones in line with the market price. But for the brownfield ones, we still have bargaining um, rooms with the seller or developer to uh, provide a reasonable premium to them. Thank you. Sorry, just one follow-up. I just want to I just want to uh, get some a few from management that in terms of M&A opportunities, would you focus more on brownfield projects or on mature data center projects? Um, well, um, that's depending on the sometimes depending on the customer demand and our delivery schedule. If there are some targets can easily meet the customer's um, timeline, uh, we may consider to do the acquisition. So there will be a mix of the customer demand, the location, uh, and our uh, MI strategy. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Akina Wong from Credit Suisse. Please ask your question. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, I have two questions. First one is actually regarding the uh, wholesale um, in service and MOU um, is sales momentum 118 megawatts. Um, we'd like to ask like, if these uh, cover um, all the 2021 that you um, you address around 60% of these cabinet um, committed, or is actually a multi-year um, cooperation MLU, and uh, which are also covering some of your target in the 2022 to 2023 in terms of in terms of your cabinet um, expansion. This is the first one, and the second one is I uh, would like to check if um, um, the company has some kind of like uh, policy or like you can say um, somehow a target to uh, adjust these. Um, carbon emission reduction target from the government and how much of the power consumption uh, will be from like green power or green energy. That um, or should we wait for more detail 
once you publish the ESG report. Then. Yeah, regarding uh, to your questions uh, on the side MOUs, actually the 180 megawatt was delivered mm -hmm. in uh, 2020 and will be delivered in um, this year. So majority will will be covered um, uh, this this year. Um, and currently for the cabinet, we will deliver in year 2020 and the year beyond. We have some pre-commitment discussion with the customers, uh, but have not signed uh, the very solid MOUs. But in the following quarter, uh, we expect to get very good progress and disclose those uh, progress to the market. Hey, Kina, uh, this is Samuel. Uh, let me address your second question. Um, that's more around the ESG. As you probably know, the ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And then so starting from um, this year, we're going to publish our annual ESG report. Uh, if we uh, break down the ESG by each of the uh, buckets, uh, we pay a lot of attention on gas emission. You know, the data center definitely consume a lot of power. So we have the responsibility uh, to drive up the, uh, the, uh, the renewable uh, energy use. That's number one. Other than the, the gas emissions, we also pay a lot of attention on the water use and also waste and pollution. Um, and, and, and also because we're, we're big uh, consumer from a land um, use point of view. So how do we uh, better utilize the land uh, protect the earth. That's going to be very, very important. Aside from the uh, environmental, we also pay a lot of attention on the social. Definitely from the workforce, diversity, inclusion point of view, and, um, and safety management. Last year, COVID-19 pandemic um, basically tells every one of us on the planet that we have to uh, you know, keep up the uh, safety management for our task force and you know, you know, things like that. And also, uh, the way to engage with customers and uh, to uh, uh, interact with the communities is also our focus. And then from a governance point of view, the way we structure the board, uh, uh, the, uh, the amount of the uh, in independent board members, and how do we uh, guide the, the, the companies moving forward, making decisions and things like that, and uh, business conduct, and also the value system. How do we keep up the, uh, uh, being transparent from a reporting point of view um, and also uh, keep up the, uh, you know, from the uh, cyber, cyber attack and things like that. And so those are the areas uh, that we are, the, luckily because we have been on the, in the industry for 25 years, so we have a lot of, you know, uh, pattern and practices that we want to share um, and report out. So um, my suggestion would be please stay tuned for our coming update, um, and we're going to share more data uh, first of all, not just from the annual report point of view, but on a quarterly basis, uh, we're reporting out our progress. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of John Choi from Daiwa Capital Market. Please ask your question. Um, good morning, Samuel, um, um, Sharon, and Renee. Thanks for taking my question. I have two questions. First of all, on your um, guidance for 2021, um, can you kind of elaborate, you know, like for the CapEx side, um, you already said about five to six billion. 
um, you know, I presumably this does not factor in the MNA side. So if it does, you know, I, I guess this will imply that there will be more upside for both for the both capex and the MNA um, uh, capacity. And my second question is about your future financing, because I know that you know on your one of the slide decks, I think page 26, you also talked about your debt structure and also your cash position um, with the very aggressive fast expansion for the next few um, years down the road. Can you kind of imagine and elaborate a bit more detail how you guys plan to do so? Thank you. Uh, thank you, James, um, for our cap. Oh, sorry. Thank you, John. Yeah. For, for our CAPEX guidance, uh, amounting uh, 5 to 6 billion, actually around 80% will be for the uh, construction of the data center for the IT and power, and the rest 20% uh, will be for the land and building and um, MNAs uh, we have bought up knowledge. So, so in the future, if we secure more resources, um, for the delivery of the year um, 2022 or the year beyond, or we have signed um, some sizable MMAs, uh, we may uh, increase those uh, capex guidance. And for our financing strategy, as uh, we mentioned before, we are very prudent. We are aim aiming to reserve more capital to support our future expansion plan. As we have disclosed the 25,000 cabinet delivery plan each year, uh, we will reserve more capital um, for those plans. In this January, uh, we have completed um, the CB insurance and uh, reserve more capital in the future. At the company level, we have diversified um, funding channels um, from the both equity and debt side. And also on the project financing level, we have made very good progress um, with the local banks. For example, in the year 2020, uh, we have signed um, project financing contracts amounting uh, 315 million U.S. dollars. Uh, that will support um, our data center construction in the future. Um, so from the future, there will be a mix of the financings from both the listed company level as well as the project financing level. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Hong Ji Li from CICC. Please ask your question. Uh, thanks, Benjamin, for um, taking my question. So uh, my first question is, uh, I see we introduced Tencent Cloud as new logo. Uh, so how should we outlook our collaboration with Tencent in future? And the second question is more in terms of the strategy side, uh, because we have carried out the dual core strategy since 2020, and we have uh, made significant progress, uh, including uh, multiple uh, cloud companies. So uh, is there any change on our strategy focus based on wholesale and retail? Uh, in, in terms of the proportion, uh, what's the, um, the, the focus rate on wholesale and retail respectively? Thank you. Yeah, actually, as we mentioned regarding to the potential wholesale customers, um, 
they are the public cloud service provider as well as the top internet companies. So now for the new logo, we have very good progress uh, with them. And we also have good talks with other potential customers to capture their future demand. Um, so once we have a very significant uh, progress, we will disclose to the market. And regarding to the strategy, I will move to Sammy. Yeah, um, okay, hey, Hongjie, um, nice meeting you uh, virtually. Um, yeah, last year we mentioned about we have a dual core uh, growth engine, and we continue to execute on that. Um, as a matter of fact, one of, the, uh, one of the good progress that you have seen from the uh, uh, earnings release um, is uh, we, we signed the uh, wholesale MOU with the, popular, with the popular content community and social platform company, and also the... Uh, 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 the uh, online entertainment company and, and things like that. Um, some of them are, I would say, um, grew up from the retail segment point of view. So if you look at our uh, two growth engine, basically uh, they're, they they goes you know hand in hand, uh, you know supporting each other and you know uh, in things like that. From the retail side, uh, I mentioned last year uh, the pandemic. Most of the companies are starting to uh, uh, accelerate their digital uh, transformation. Therefore, a lot of the add-on services uh, they would require, and those you know add-on services in the past considered to be a competitive advantage, now it's like competitive requirements. Um, so we're continuing to partner with our ecosystem, providing more. And, and part of the indicator you can see is we maintain a pretty steady. Uh, the uh, monthly recurring revenue from a retail side point of view, and this quarter uh, we still maintain up, uh, you know, uh, from the, uh, roughly about you know, nine thousand uh, per month, and so that's a, a good indicator. So that should help to uh, um, answer your question. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Chris Ko from DBS. Please ask your question. Good morning, management team. Um, congratulations on the strong results, and thanks for taking my questions. Two questions from me. First, uh, when I multiply your utilization rates with total capacity, the implied utilized capacity for 4Q20 drop slightly Q on Q. Could you share with us the reasons behind? And as we uh, further expand our capacity, how should we look at the utilization rate in FY21? And my second question is, um, have we seen wholesale customers um, incorporating more carbon-neutral related requirements in their data center specifications? And would there be any impact to our margin due to this? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, regarding to the utilization rate for the ramp-up and the new build, actually the decrease in Q4 was due to the delivery, 9,000 delivery in Q3 and Q4, which will increase the denominator in the formula. But from the billable cabinet perspective, we still have very good progress in the whole year of 2020. We captured uh, the demand from both wholesale and retail customers. 
and we um, sell more carbonate as well as a more value-added service to them. So that, that, that's a formula uh, question, so maybe uh, we can clarify uh, offline with you. Thank you. Hey, Chris, uh, this is Samuel. Um, to answer uh, your question again, uh, that's more like, that's more around the ESG. Um, um, as I uh, said um, previously, uh, starting from this year, uh, we're going to uh, pro provide our annual ESG report. Uh, other than the environmental, we're also going to pay equal attention on the social and governance. And specifically around the environmental, um, because you probably know, First of all, uh, you know, from a carbon emission point of view, China's attributed roughly about a 10% uh, for the entire world. And then um, in data centers specifically in China, uh, it's a big portion of that, roughly about a 2.4% of a total power consumption. So we have the responsibility uh, as a market leader for carrying neutral data center providers. We have the responsibility um, to continue to uh, increase our renewable energy utilization mix and, and also, we have to continue to improve the, effective, the effectiveness of our power and water usage. And so with that, uh, we are going to uh, publish our uh, progress um, and also our commitments uh, from an annual point of view. And having said that, every single quarter, uh, we would like to provide more granular uh, data to share with all the uh, institutional investors and the industries. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Ethan Zhang from Nomura. Please ask your question. Uh, hi, management. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, my question is about the operating expenses. I saw some um, OPEX, for example, uh, sales and marketing and SMGNA uh, increased uh, for the fourth quarter of last year, increased quarter over quarter and year over year. Just wonder what's the future trend of this OPEX to sales ratios and Another uh, quick question is on this new item of impairment of loan leave assets. Just wonder whether this is just only a year-end review of some prudent accounting reviews or if there is some specific reason for this item. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Asen. Regarding to the operating expenses, um, we will use the adjusted operating expenses to uh, evaluate our operating efficiency. Actually, <clears throat> for the whole year of 2020, uh, we achieved uh, good progress in operating efficiency. The overall total operate, adjusted operating expenses as percentage of revenue was 15.7% compared to 17.5% in 2019. And this year, we will still uh, try to improve our operations in all aspects. So this year, the, we aim to achieve the operating, adjusted operating expenses as a percentage of revenue. The OPEX rate will be around 15%, uh, nearly one percentage point, point um, from last year. And regarding to the impairment of long-lived assets, um, you are right, we take a very prudent accounting treatment for that, and 
this was a one-off uh, charges in our income statement. Actually, it was caused by a devaluation of assets related to the MVNO and fixed wireless business in Hong Kong, and we were acquired uh, acquired back in uh, 2012. So this was a one-off um, impairment. Thank you. Thank Our next question comes from the line of Tina Ho from Goldman Sachs. Please ask your question. Hi, uh, thank you very much for taking my questions again. I have a follow-up question. Um, um, could you remind us what is the exact definition of a wholesale customer uh, in terms of like their ca cabinet uh, size or any other measures? And then um, the, a related one on that is that now you have more than one wholesale customers. Uh, wondering if we could get, could get more details in terms of wholesale versus retail for your customer mix, your cabinet mix, and also your potentially your wholesale uh, MRR versus retail. Thank you. Tina, uh, this is Samuel. Uh, let me try to um, address um, your uh, your questions. So first of all, um, if you look at the, um, the data center definition, um, honestly, from a worldwide perspective, it's going to be super hard uh, to define. Uh, from a global, um, I would say, uh, practice, uh, there are five different categories, if you will. Number one being the hyperscaler, and the hyperscaler tend to be, um, I would say, in the past and probably today, uh, tend to refer to those public cloud service providers. And number two category would be wholesale co-location. And then the wholesale co-location um, in, in the past tend to be uh, referring to more than 10,000 racks as a ballpark number. But again, that number may not be accurate um, year over year. And the third one being the retail um, co-location. And the fourth one being the carrier specific ones, and the fifth one being the enterprise data center. So these five buckets were sort of defined um, in the IDC uh, industry in the past. Um, so today, if you look at the uh, hyperscale and wholesale co-location on one hand versus the uh, retail co-location and our full-stack services um, on the other hand. Um, Actually, in our uh, investor presentation um, deck, that we have a specific page, page seven, um, and try to provide more uh, granular information from our dual core growth strategy point of view. So if I, if I have to use our, um, I would say, pattern and practice point of view to give you a better, better view, the wholesale customers that we're trying to target in on those hyperscalers, again, in the past tend to be more public cloud service provider, but we're seeing a lot of uh, big data um, internet companies um, could be, you know, categorized as the hyperscalers. And these set of customers tend to require huge amount of space and power, and also, um, first of all, to support their massive scaling needs, but they're also requiring some of the uh, customization, tailor-made solutions, you know, um, you know, things like that. On the retail side, um, you know, these are the set of customers uh, going through a digital transformation. 
they, they may not have a one bulky data center, but probably have multiple data centers, but requiring the active-active uh, uh, business continuity, disaster recovery purposes, uh, they probably need more uh, than the pure colo, but requiring the connection services, bare metal, and also the um, uh, you know other very added services to support their uh, multi-cloud management and things like that. So these are two uh, very distinct uh, segments. So that's the reason uh, internally we we uh, carefully uh, uh, separate them and then provide uh, the uh, services to meet their needs. So hope that answers your question, Tina. Uh, yeah, thank you very much, Samuel. Uh, just a very quick follow-up then. Uh, so when you disclose your retail MRR, right, uh, how many customers or what are the customers that you, uh, you exclude when you calculate the retail MRR? Okay. Um, my understanding, we, um, we have not provided um, the detailed numbers of our uh, data center customers. But what I can say is we basically exclude roughly about a dozen customers. Those are the wholesale customers um, out of the uh, total data center customers. Okay, so uh, in other words, they don't have to be getting like at least 1,000 cabinets uh, uh, from VNet. Just maybe, for example, uh, some of the logos that you have shown on slide seven under wholesale, and then maybe uh, a number of other big internet customers. Is that like a reasonable understanding? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a reasonable understanding, but, but, but again, I, I, I want to make sure that the line's not very distinct. It could be blurred, because some mm -hmm. of the retail customers, when they continue to grow up, um, you know, it uh, becomes more, first of all, demanding, uh, they have a lot of customization needs. Uh, you know, they can easily grow from the ten th uh, from the uh, five thousand racks to a ten thousand racks, and so it could could basically uh, grow from a retail to wholesale. So that's possible. Um, so it's not a it's not a black and white. Um, these two, you know, first of all, the way we define the wholesale versus retail, uh, there are fundamental differences. The cost structure differences, uh, the the the, the skill set differences the needs are different, you know, and so, so that's the reason we have uh, two sets of um, uh, sales force uh, to, uh, to look after these two segments. So it's not, it's not purely uh, either or, you know, it could be a grow up from a retail become a wholesale customers. And then we're starting to see more, uh, I would say, uh, support or, or synergy between the two segments just in case. I would now like to hand the conference back to the management for closing. Please go ahead. Thank you once again for joining the call today. Uh, if you have further questions, feel free to contact the company's IR. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now discuss.